Hello and welcome to Python Bytes, where we deliver Python news and headlines directly to your earbuds. This is episode 83, recorded June 20th, 2018. I'm Michael Kennedy. And I'm Brian Arkin. And Brian, we have a special guest, don't we? Yes, we do. Yeah, so Chris Medina is here to join in the fun and share his perspective on things. Hey, Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, guys, how's it going? Good to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you. And I also want to say thank you to DigitalOcean. They are a major, major sponsor of the show, and they're sponsoring this one as well. Tell you more about them, but the short version is pythonbytes.fm slash DigitalOcean. Get $100 credit for new users. Brian, uh, speaking of new users, well, people learn Python, they might want to set up a server at some point. <laughs> set up a server? <laughs> well, you know, eventually, eventually they'll have a website or something, right, once they learn to code. But you've got a, yeah, like yeah. a really uh, nice way for them to get started. I have been always been reluctant to try to look or play with some of these uh, beginning beginning code editors because part of learning how to code is learning the learning an editor but i'm kind of warming to the idea of some of these uh, specialized editors and there's one that that i wasn't familiar with which is moo i think it's moo or mu i don't know mu code with moo it's got a whole bunch of people on board if i go to the uh i can't remember where it is but there's a bunch of people working on this and it's a kind of a neat little editor that has, I was playing with it this morning and it has uh, some built, you just open it up and it has built in right off the bat. It asks you if you're going to do it for Python three or if you're targeting like an Adafruit chip or a micro bit. So it has built in targeting of those things like right away. And there's like uh, along the top, there's some icons for loading and saving files, running it, debugging it, popping up the uh, REPL, interacting with the plotter. And then there's a th- even there's a theme button so you can jump back and forth between dark theme and light theme. And it even has like a linter built in for you can check things. And it's all like you don't have to memorize any key sequences or there's not really any menus around. It just is all up there. And I think this would actually be great for teaching people how to how to code. So I'm going to start using it for like demos and stuff. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So as you type, basically it pulls up both the, the completion for the arguments that go to a method or something, but also the documentation, like while you're typing. So, you know, you might get annoyed with that if you know what you're doing, but if you're new, uh, it's really cool to show you like, Hey, you can call these various things and here's, here's the arguments, here's what it means. And even has a debug. It's pretty cool. And the uh, separate app. Yeah. It's a separate app, but you can, there's an installer available, so you can just, you don't even have to tell people about PIP right away because you can just uh, install it with an installer. But you can install it with PIP because it's just a Python thing. I think it's a Qt application, or cute, I've been corrected, it's a Qt application. <laughs> oh, that's really cool. It's, it's cute. Okay. Yeah, I installed it with PIP. And then one of the things that it has in the installation instructions is instructions on how to use... So when when you install it with pip you get like a command line invocation to invoke it but it recommends using a another package called shortcut which you just if you pip install shortcut you get shortcut moo editor for instance and it'll create on my mac it created a uh it just went ahead and created a shortcut in my uh, launchpad to launch it so oh, I didn't that's so pretty can, cool attach that to any python script you can just launch it from there so nice oh but looks like it has uh different modes too like you can set it up to work for for writing code for adafruit or for pygame or stuff like that that looks kind of 
Yeah, and then when it has the built-in REPL, if you pop open the REPL, it's not just your normal REPL. It's a it's a Jupiter notebook or Jupiter REPL, which is pretty oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I love this. Yeah, it's it's very neat. And uh, there's some like in the on the tutorials link. There's a whole bunch of tutorials that aren't quite there yet. So I'm guessing they could use some people to help out with this project. All right. Yeah. And that'd be a great easy way to get, uh, sort of get your feet wet in open source is to write some tutorials, right? It's, you don't have to too much to depend upon or you probably won't break anybody's code by, by writing one. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So Chris, one of the things I find it's pretty interesting is we love to talk about super advanced topics, but a lot of times it's really what people need or, or want, especially if you're helping or mentoring someone else is like some more fundamental stuff, right? Yep. I found this a, uh, it kind of an, an intro topic into how uh, the Python parentheses system works. It's pretty interesting also for folks that come from other languages, so you can get kind of like a quick translation from one place to another and how, how things operate. It sounds pretty simple. I mean, it's about Python parentheses, right? Uh, the Python parentheses primer from Reuven Lerner. Uh, shout out to him on that. But there's some pretty advanced things going on and a pretty cool future uh, feature coming at the end. Right. <laughs> so tell us about it. So the fun, the fun stuff is uh, it, it goes into all the different ways that you actually use parentheses while you're doing your Python syntax and what you can use it for. So you get a, a couple of the simple topics, like you know, usually a parentheses is used in a callable, like a to call a function and pass in parameters, or to call a, a class that implements callable. Things like uh, prioritization of operations or conditionals. You also use parentheses for making tuples, but uh, you also get a little bit into generator expressions and the advantages of that, and uh, a couple little quirks you can use it for uh, skirting some of the uh, indentation rules that uh, Python has that some people kind of hate, but um, other people like me love, so I'm special. <laughs> you also get into uh, square brackets and curly braces and, and square brackets, which are typically used for lists and for indexing. Uh, the for somebody that's new to the topic, you'll want to look at the slices section because slices are pretty pretty powerful little tool that you get out of Python if you haven't used it before. How to get uh, specific sections of a um, list or iterable, and there's also while well, not in the article itself, but uh, some of the folks that commented on the article also mentioned that some of the new type hint stuff also uses uh, square brackets for identifying. Uh, like the the variables, if you have a variable that's say a list or a container class of some sort, uh, the data type that it's implementing. So if you have a list of floats, you would say list curly bracket floats when you're specifying what type it is. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's almost like generics in uh, like C sharp or uh, templates in, in C plus plus, where you would say this thing takes a list of strings. You can say it's just a list. But then, uh, like, you don't get any help on what's contained within it. But you could say, you know, import the list thing and say list square bracket int square bracket. Then it has to be a homogeneous list of ints, not just any random list, which is pretty cool. Exactly. I was looking through here, and down at the bottom, they're talking about some of the ways to, like, future-proof your code. So, like, you can say from under future import um, division. And... There, there's a proposal for braces, huh? Uh-huh. <laughs> if you have a Python REPL open right now and you kind of want to try that, you'll get a, a neat little uh, message of 
of what the future will look like if you ever actually import braces. Right. So if you can see the like the the coming braces feature, you can say from Dunder future import braces and see what support Python's probably going to be adding for braces soon. <laughs> Which you know, not everyone's typing. They're probably driving this up. So basically, it throws a syntax exempt exception error and says, uh, "Not a chance. We're never adding braces." <laughs> it's beautiful. I knew about anti gravity. We were joking about that earlier, but I didn't know about the import braces. That's pretty sweet. One more interesting thing to mention. Obviously, it goes into curly braces and how you use that as well for set comprehensions and dictionaries. The other thing to remind folks is Python three six plus. There is f strings. And with, uh, with F strings, you can use braces inside a string that you prefix with F to, and the interpreter replaces any code that you put inside those braces, actually executes it and replaces the result into the string. Yeah. Very nice. F strings are great. And it's way more efficient. Fastest and the shortest. Cleanest. Very nice. Yep. So Brian, you mentioned that, that, um, you editor is a cute application and cute is kind of making a bit of a resurgence these days. At least I've been paying more attention to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it ha- had gone through some fairly dark times. I mean, obviously, we've been on our GUI kick for a while. We went through all these different options, and there's still tons of great options. Like WX Python had their Phoenix release, which was sort of a rebuilding of that whole thing, which is awesome. A little while ago, we talked about that. So the Qt company, Qt company, is the company that is behind the Qt framework, and they just announced the official release for Python for Qt, which is taking these various version mismatch, PySide 2, PyQt, all those things, and like rebuilding it like in a two-year project into a fresh, new, shiny version. So that's pretty awesome that that's more or less out. Oh, that's exciting. We heard recent, not too long ago that it was coming, but having it be released, wonderful. Yeah, so if you're messing with this, it's uh, version 5.11, and I think it's still in a tech preview in terms of the execution bits, but I suspect that this means the APIs are frozen. So you can go and check that out. Yeah, so it started two years ago. They've been working on this. And one thing that's really nice is the way you get it is you just pip install. And they right now it's not coming out of uh, pypi.org itself. It's coming out of a different place. So they show you the command like to pass their particular sort of dev their dev index URL, which I put in the show notes, so people can check that out. So that looks like they have their own PyPI implementation there. Yeah, something like that, right? Like a little bit like uh, what you guys are doing uh, that we talked about over on Talk Python, right, Chris? Yep, exactly. But this one goes outside the firewall, it looks like. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, so, you know, I just want to give a shout out to people who are looking, uh, waiting for Qt to become more important to get revitalized. I feel like, you know, this is the announcement we've been waiting for. Uh, hopefully this means lots of good things. We'll see what happens. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. So speaking of good things, DigitalOcean, they're very good. They do all sorts of awesome stuff, right? They're giving you guys tons of credit if you want to get started there. And I always try to talk about different ways we are using them in our various bits of infrastructure. And that's still true, still are, still enjoying that. But one of the things that they have that's really cool is is when you go create a virtual machine, you can say, I want a one-click app, which really means a virtual machine configured to run something. And they recently set up a machine learning virtual machine for you. So you can go there, create a droplet. That's their VM terminology. Click on one-click apps, pick machine learning in AI, and you automatically get a machine with Python 3, R, Jupyter, Notebooks, TensorFlow, PyTorch, all that stuff. And you pick like a CPU-optimized uh, optimized CPU for your virtual machine. 
all sorts of good stuff. So if uh, you want to check that out, you can do it real quick and uh, affordably just play around those tools, which is pretty awesome. So check them out over at uh, pythonbytes.fm slash digitalocean. And like I said, uh, if you go there and you're a new user, you'll get $100 credit, which is also pretty sweet. So Brian, iteration is a, a key element of Python, right? Yeah, we, we often deal with lots of iteration and generators and iterators and all sorts of things. Exactly. We've got generators. I like the, the primary for loop is not for I equals zero, I plus plus, but it's for thing in collection. It's, it's beautiful, right? But it goes even deeper. Developing your own iterators and generators is a, is a fun thing to learn about. But um, I have to admit that I don't often do that very much. And one of the things that I've, it's always been on my to-do list is to learn more about the iter tools uh, module. And I've not, re- not really ever explored it too much. And uh, RealPython has a, a blog post called uh, Iter Tools in Python 3 by example. And I really enjoyed this. It's a, it's a nice introduction as to what is the problem that iterators uh, generators are dealing with and uh, and then like for example it starts off with just um, how does zip work to take you know two lists and uh, create another list with like each element and then what if you need what if you need like uh, not quite the same zip what if they're not the same length and things like that and some of the problems that can happen and why lazy evaluation is a good thing and actually in the discussion it used um, the time function the time shell function is I guess this is a like a Unixy type kind of thing with a dash F, which I've never used before. And that showed the memory used also. Didn't know that was a thing. Oh, that's cool. But as this example of using like, like a big example in the, like the memory usage blew up to like huge. And so is just talk through like some of the different things that are in iter tools and why that helps you. I pulled out a couple, like uh, a lot of these things, you, if you don't think, if you don't know they're there, you'll just come up with it on your own. Like, like doing combinatorial sets, those are already in there. Coming up with permutations, you don't have to do like exactly. a random index. You can just uh, use their their iterate the the ones that are built in. I think that's a good example of like being fluent in Python versus being able to make the code work, but not really deeply knowing it. Right? Like if somebody said, "Hey, I want you to take this thing and generate a, a like a set of permutations, all the permutations of say this word or whatever," right? You might attempt to implement the fairly complicated algorithm or you might just call iter tools you know permute sort of thing right and then boom it's just there so there's so many things like that that are just like at your fingertips if you just import them yeah i mean we've all a lot of people are smart enough to like if you come up with all the combinations you can just have a nested for loop and figure out how to do that but you don't have to it's already there and one of the things I didn't know would there's um some fun things like some fun uses of count and uh, cycle I didn't know about cycle. That's pretty cool. It just kind of cycles through a set and then keeps giving you more of the more of the same. And the tutorial also talks about in the tutorial. It's using the next function, which is uh, for iterators. You can you don't have to use them in a loop. You can even you just call the next function, which is kind of fun. And then something like something that's I slice. I didn't know this was a thing. So the if you if you want to take a a slice of a list or a slice of some other iterator, you can do that. But if you want that to be an iterable also, this does it for you. And so there's a whole, yeah, it's awesome. whole bunch of goodies in here. Yeah, one of my favorites is iSlice because like Chris already said, slicing is awesome. 
But if you try to do, say, slice on a generator, it'll just go fail like that. Nope, we don't slice generators. Well, you can eye slice them and it works just fine. It's beautiful, right? So it's you can sort of make things sliceable that otherwise would not be. It's really great. Yeah. So there's a, definitely a definitely good read to beef up on the, the iter tools. So Yeah, I, I recommend everybody that writes any Python code to just go look at iter tools and all the things you can do. There's lots of stuff online and this is a, a good resource Every once in a while, every every time there's an article that's something about iter tools, I always go just at least skim it because there's always some little magic in there. You're like, oh, I implemented that myself the other day. Let me go delete that code and actually do something that's maintained by somebody that knows something more more than I. Yeah, and, and maybe even in C. <laughs> so it's a little faster, right? Down in the internals. Nice. So speaking of sort of working with collections and iterables and things like that, Chris, I feel like your item dovetails really in, uh, well in with this. Right. So the the next item is about Python sets and set theory. It's a nice, also kind of a primer on how um, sets work in Python, how you define them, how you work with them, and just a tiny bit on set theory. Uh, so you can build sets different ways. The, the most common way is by calling the set function to build an empty set empty set. But you can also use curly braces, which we were talking about earlier, to have uh, set comprehensions. And it's a great way of, say, deduping items in a list. So if you have a list of a bunch of integers or something like that, you can use a comprehension to iterate through the list and just grab the items that you care about and you only get uh, the unique items out of it. The interesting part about sets as well is that they're all of one. So when you're making a Membership tests, you can, it's fast. It's considerably faster than going through, say, a list where you have to iterate through the entire list to see if the item is in it. Yeah, that's cool. I definitely like the distinct aspect. That's, that's what I use a lot of uh, sets for. It's like, I have all these things. There might be duplication. I just want them one of each. You know, if there's duplicate, just don't add it, right? So you can just like, you could even say set of some list. And then, you know, just get that back as here's the distinct stuff in the list, which is great. Also for simplifying conditionals. So you had the example, uh, well, well, Python had the example and the stuff you covered about parentheses of if item equals X or item equals Y or item equals Z or whatever, right? Like that becomes like kind of a nasty multi-line looking thing. Maybe a more Pythonic way would be say if X is in, set, you know, curly set X, Y, Z. Right. You can do stuff like that. It's always another point to keep in mind is sets are sets are of immutable values. So you can't put like say a normal set inside of a set. Uh, there's other value types and stuff like that. You can't just like stick in a set. Right. So it has to be hashable. Basically same as dictionary exactly. keys. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it can't change. And, but it's always, always interesting to remember once you've made a set that you're looking for distinct values and things like that. I always try to look through my code if there's some sort of, if I'm checking if item is in list one and also in list two, because you can always have two sets and do an intersection between them. And then yeah. you don't have to do those four loops and the code is kind of optimized to do that for you, which I'm sure will will not be O of N squared kind of thing when you're, <laughs> when you're writing your code, right? Yeah, exactly. And then just to quickly look back on immutability, immutability if you want to make a set of sets, there's also such a thing as a frozen set where the set itself is immutable and you can stick stick that into a set. So stuff like that. Uh, that's very meta. Brian, do you use sets very often? I always have a like a tutorial like this or something to look up because I I forget what the uh, operators are because uh-huh. 
you can use it does have union intersection difference symmetric difference things like that and remembering all of that stuff from your uh, college days is good to um, to try to make make some elegant code but it has like for instance the union operator is you can just use the bar function for that and looking up all those uh, is a good thing although since i know i have to look it up i usually put a comment in there to tell in, anybody else what i'm doing to say this is a this is oh, a set sure. operation going on here so yeah that makes sense i feel like sometimes knowing the right data structure cuz not like really open people's eyes or really change the way they're doing something and sets and dictionaries definitely seem to fall into that, that space where like you don't use them that much, but when you do, you're like, Whoa, that really is better. <laughs> so many ways. Yeah. And it's also one of those things of like, it's a new hammer. Try to <laughs> try to be sure that you don't see everything as a, as a set problem because everything sure. isn't a set problem. But. Yeah, for sure. All right, so last item that I wanted to cover on this episode is a little bit of a look ahead, uh, maybe to, to next week, but to put this on people's radar so when it launches, you can like do maybe a backflip or something if you've been uh, practicing. So coming up, we just had the release of Python 3.7, release candidate 1, which was on June 12th, and expected or planned for June 27th, which is seven days from now, is the final release of Python 3.7 official. How about that? I'm so excited. Do you know what makes me most excited about this? There's certain things in here like, oh, okay, cool, breakpoint, that's kind of nice. Data classes, kind of nice. But what really makes me most excited is this is the categorically fastest Python period. So all the people that say, no, we're using legacy Python because under this particular use case, it's faster than Python 3.7. And there may still be some very narrow use case, but generally speaking, this is the fastest Python period. It's uh, much faster than Python 3, certainly up to 3.3, but it's it's even quite a bit faster than 3.6. So for example, from 3.6 to 3.7, when you're calling methods, especially methods that are part of classes, not standalone functions, but like bound methods to classes, uh, it's like 20% faster. That's a reason right there to switch. Yeah. And what's cool, like all you got to do is just run on the new version, right? There's no like, oh, I switched to PyPy or something. It's just... I now have 3.7, so life is better. Especially if you're using a framework. Yeah. Anybody who's using a framework, remember, there's a bunch of levels of abstraction around it, so there's a bunch of function calls. Exactly, yeah. There's there's tons of function calls, and so this is really, really good news. So just to run through some of the features, there's improvements to coupling that type annotations or type hints added to the system. So previously, if I wanted to say, here's a function and it returns this type of thing, right? It returns like this object or some type I've defined. I have to literally import that type at the top of that file. And what that means is at import time, I pay an extra import of processing that file, which I might not have otherwise loaded potentially, or at least not right then. The other one is um, circular dependencies are, are super annoying in that. Like, so for example, I've got like a, repository class and it returns some kind of object, right? But that object, when it's defined, has to know about the repository. So it says it returns, like it uses this somewhere else. Like that basically will fail and break the import that it because it's circular, right? So with this new thing, this change is instead of actually evaluating these type hints and having to import them, it's just evaluated as if you had typed them as strings. So they're not actually evaluating the true types 
when you do type annotation. So that gives you more flexibility. The circular dependencies aren't a problem and it's faster. Wow. Yeah. That's neat. Yeah. The one that this, the type annotations thing that makes me the most crazy is I have a class and it's got like some function that returns an instance of itself. You can't say that in, in the previous type ins as a uh, concrete types because you can't say the name of the class until it's fully defined but you're halfway through the class trying to say this method returns one of me, <laughs> you know, you can get around it by putting quotes, uh, but that's effectively like what this does without the syntax of putting the quotes. So it looks more natural. Oh, so you can do that now with the yeah. three seven. Yeah. But you have to put quotes and you have to like say the name out exactly in as a string. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, take, take a look at that. Yeah. It's pretty cool. All right. You also have uh, data classes, which are really nice. They're kind of like tuples. They have a lot of interesting hashing and equality operators on them as well as representation ones. They can be frozen, so they can be mutable or immutable, all sorts of things. So kind of like enumeration, name, tuple, tuple, it's stuff all brought together. It's sort of a, a derivative of the adders uh, project, but they decided not to move adders into the framework because it's evolving quickly and they don't want to like freeze it. So data classes, kind of the same thing. I just want to point out that data classes has a backport for 3.6, so you can go ahead and Start using those in 3.6 as long as you pip install them first. Yeah, how do I get that? Would pip install data classes? Pip install data classes. Oh, that's that's pretty killer. I didn't know about that. All right, so there's a new breakpoint function, which uh, we talked about. We don't use that much because, like, if you just fire a PyCharm, who cares? But there's some pretty <laughs> interesting... <laughs> it's got to be clicking the gutters. But there's actually some pretty interesting ways to, like, say, hook a remote debugger to your code Things like that. There's, there's really interesting stuff going on there. Async IO got better. Chris, you should be happy about that. Did you see these? Some of this is pretty cool. Tell me about it. This async IO run function is a way of running a coroutine from synchronous code, which, I mean, that that existed before, but you had to do like 50 million things to set your stuff up correctly and make sure you didn't break other. You just call run and it, it will internally like create the loop and do it for you? Yep. Just call run, starts coroutine. Oh, that is sweet. It starts an event loop, runs your coroutine, and... Closes the event loop at the end, so you got to you're gonna have to be careful when you use this. This is pretty cool, and there's there's some of the some of the task management stuff that's also a little bit better. So this is pretty cool. I have to maybe I'll uh, write a post on this. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, definitely cool. Uh, another one that's really nice is the time module, and a bunch of other functions as well have become more accurate, especially over long durations, and they've taken on nanosecond resolution. So. You can type import time and you say time, you just call time, and it'll give you a floating point value of the number of seconds since the epoch, like 1970. But this, you can also now in 3.7 say time underscore ns, and it'll give you the nanoseconds in as an integer. And because of it's an integer, not a float, that means there's no drift or anything in sort of the floating point operations. It's like truly the nanoseconds, which is awesome. Yep. All right. And finally, I just want to close out, give it like, what would a Python bytes show? be without a shout out to anthony shaw right brian <laughs> yeah he's been a part of the show a lot so <laughs> for sure so uh he actually did a brand new course um plural site called what's new in python 3.7 so i put a link to his course there as well and actually he it's only about an hour long but it goes really in depth into like the advantages or, or all these various things so quite cool if that's easy for you to check out uh go ahead and, and drop over there and check out anthony's course very nice yeah, so I'm really excited for when this ships. I think it's going to be great. There always seems to be like some latency on the Linux distributions and stuff before I can really make use of it. But, you know, pretty soon uh, I'll be happy to be running this. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, do you guys have any extra news uh, that you want to cover? That's it for our official items. I've been doing a lot of uh, going back 
went through all of the code that was in uh, the PyTest book to make sure it's 3.7 compatible, which I was uh, happy to find out that it's fine. So Nice. So that's good. <laughs> yeah, very cool. I saw this really cool like tutorial series about uh, Mongo. Do you know anything about this? I may have spent an incredible amount of time working <laughs> on this project. Yeah, so I did a three-part, three-hour webcast series in partnership with MongoDB. And basically, from concept to actually deploying it on uh, DigitalOcean, actually, I rebuilt the PyPI.org website in MongoDB and then published it to the internet, which I then deleted so I don't have to pay to keep it running because there, there's a real one. But yeah, there's like it's recorded. People can go check it out. You got the link in the show notes. So that's awesome. Yeah, nice. It looks pretty fun. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for the shout out. Cool. Chris, anything you want to let people know about while you're here? Nope. I don't really have anything new. Maybe just. Uh... Keep an eye out for a few new posts coming up and uh, try accept pass and my new uh, my blog. Awesome. Yeah, there might be one about this asyncio.run, huh? Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, you All called right. it out. You got to write it now. So Yeah. Remember, the internet is written in ink, and so this is, a, this is permanent now. <laughs> my next post was going to be about one of my modules, which uses asyncio a bunch, so maybe I'm going to go back and experiment with 3.7 and what changes I would have to do there to write it up. So this is pretty cool. Yeah, awesome. Well, Chris, thanks for being on the show. And Brian, thank you as always. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Python Bytes. Follow the show on Twitter via at Python Bytes. That's Python Bytes as in B-Y-T-E-S. And get the full show notes at pythonbytes.fm. If you have a news item you want featured, just visit pythonbytes.fm and send it our way. We're always on the lookout for sharing something cool. On behalf of myself and Brian Aachen, this is Michael Kennedy. Thank you for listening and sharing this podcast with your friends and colleagues.